Hey everyone, welcome to the State of Demand Gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types, events, interviews, Demand Gen Live, when I'm a guest on a podcast, LinkedIn content, all here in audio format. If you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the Demand Gen Live sessions that I'm putting together with Gatano Denardi at 7.30 p.m., 4.30 Pacific on Tuesday evenings. Tons of great content in there, lots of great insights, live Q&A, building a little community inside there. I'd highly encourage you to check it out. And now to this episode. All right. So uh, unlike me, Gatano has a real job. And so he might got, he might be caught up in a couple of things. I know his, the business that he works for is booming. And so, um, for the sake of just keeping this moving, I think I'll just get it started. And if he jumps in, then, uh, I'm sure he'll have a lot of wisdom to share with all of us. But for now, I'll just kind of, kind of take the reins. Um, one thing that I wanted to uh, to get started, and I was hoping that Katano could be here because I really wanted to debate the idea of if you're if you're a small company and you have to make a choice between marketing, whether to focus on SEO or paid social. I think it's a really interesting debate, and I debate it with a lot of people. So I thought it'd be like just kind of interesting for everyone. I would obviously just I think people know me. I would take the side of paid social. So this will be a one sided debate, but I'll just kind of share my perspective um, on that. So. Um, the first thing that's going on, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm not sure if you guys saw SaaS, like something really weird happened on May 1, magically, like more people started asking for demos. I, f- I do feel like there was something very strange from a timing perspective. We saw an interesting kind of like drop off. We, we work with 12 SaaS companies. We saw an interesting drop off across the board in demo requests for companies that were not positively or negatively affected by the directly by um, COVID. Um, that, that drop was somewhere between 5 and 15% across the board. Um, but we're seeing like a very strong response beginning last Friday moving forward. Um, one thing that was really interesting is that um, for two of our clients, we, we launched case study campaigns on Monday. Um, and we typically will prep those on a Monday and then schedule them for like Monday afternoon. And what we do on, on Facebook, for those that don't know... And I really would for anyone, I'm going to map this out. I would really encourage you if you work for a SaaS company or someone that's basically any B2B company, I would encourage you to take this exact process and see for yourself. So at the beginning, we'd go into Facebook ads manager. If you don't have an account, you can use Google and figure out how to create that. Um, And then I'll go to the audience and I know what the ICP is for the companies that we work with. And I will go and search people for the ICP. It's a little bit more difficult than LinkedIn, um, but you can find ways, interests, what page they like, professional associations, fields of study, job titles specifically. There's a ton of different ways. So spend some time and look at that and it'll spit out to you exactly how many people on a monthly basis use the platform. And if you know, like one time I was working for a company, a medical device company, we knew that there were 56,000 respiratory therapists in the country because they need a certification. And we would go, I would go into Facebook and I would put in two different combinations, the job titles, respiratory therapist, or they studied respiratory therapy and it spit out 49,000. So almost the entire market of people that we're selling to is available on Facebook right away. And the thing is that right now we're seeing significantly lower CPMs. CPM is a term for advertising cost per impression or cost per thousand impressions. Um, Typically what we saw uh, on Facebook would be somewhere between, depending on your objective, six to $10 for some campaigns we're running right now, the inventory costs less than $2. So like, because people are not advertising as much except for e-commerce. So if you're in B2B and you're targeting specific people, the cost of delivering the ads is so low. Um, So I would encourage you to experiment with that. 
we put together a case study. If you're running a case study or any piece of content on Facebook for that matter, and you're driving someone to a landing page, it must be able to be consumed in less than three minutes. Secondarily, the objective is not for someone to read the content, you to sell them something and then for them to convert on a form. If you do it that way, one, your conversion, if you're selling a certain type of cost of product, the conversion rates are not going to be that good. Secondarily, the conversion rates through the funnel are going to be very poor. They're converting on mobile and for different reasons like that. I just haven't seen it work. It's too much of a direct response for a complex B2B sale. Um, but we deliver the ads and we, the goal is to deliver messaging and then wait for them to decide that, Oh, like what we normally see is they read the case study about how the product helped a company save, you know, $15,000 a month or whatever. And then they go and tell their coworker about it and oh, their coworker is actually the decision maker. And then the coworker comes back to the website, consumes a value prop and converts. So to get back to the story, we launched two of those for two different companies. Um, and I've seen this really interesting trend where we're running content on Facebook. The visits to the demo page go way up on the first day that the content launches. And then the conversions, the conversion rates stay the same. So you get more demos. Um, and so I wanted to tease that out. So I, uh, today, yesterday and today we spent five X what we would normally spend running this campaign. And for both companies, we saw the similar spike in traffic at a five X level on the demo page and significantly more without asking for a demo. So just to break that all down, like a lot of people think that content marketing is a long-term strategy. I completely disagree with that. I believe that SEO is a long-term strategy. But content marketing includes a lot of different distribution channels. So I'd encourage you to think about um, how you can use paid social to deliver, to guarantee delivery of content to whoever you're trying to sell to as a way to, to uh, distribute information, not to drive a conversion. People are smart. They know how. If you teach them something, they'll figure out how to come and get a demo if it makes sense for them. Um, so that was the one-sided debate of why I think that using paid social is just faster, smarter in a modern day world than SEO. Obviously, if you're going to do content marketing, you probably want to have an SEO strategy. But if you have to pick between one or the other, I started my career running SEO 2013 to 2015 and saw some nice, nice traffic there. But if I look back, and I think whether I, if I was running paid social at that time, would I still have been doing SEO? Probably not. I think paid social would have worked better. So I think that sets a good stage. We got my man Gatano. I'm not sure when he joined. Let's, uh, let's get this guy in here. Um, what's up, Chris? Good, well, good what's up, you, everybody? Good, good to, to see, see everyone. You. So by the Welcome way, back, I know, everybody. I, I don't know when you joined, but we had a... Uh, we were, I we caught the to, whole thing. Oh, uh, cool. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm making you the co-host now. So let's, let's give you your side of the argument. So I kind of put you in the, in the SEO bucket. I thought that would be a place where you could jam. Um, so yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I, I love how you set me up like this, man. He lured me right into a trap. Um, <clears throat> here's the problem, you know, like with running, like I'm just going to give you guys a big company insider's perspective. Uh, you go to your CFO or marketing ops leader, whoever controls the money, and you say, you know what, I want to start running um, paid social, um, paid campaigns to an ebook or um, excuse me, to a case study, as Chris said. Um, <clears throat> but Chris, I can't remember. Did you say you're going to gate it or not gate it? 
no, no way we're gating it. We're giving the information away and letting people figure out that they need the product for themselves. Right. So we're going to give it out for free. We're going to ungate it. No lead capture. Um, you see, I'm going with this, right? And then we don't have a marketing attribute, expensive marketing attribution tool in place, such as a visible or an or a full circle insights or some kind of mechanism that tracks every touch point of the buying journey. And you're going to go to that CFO and you're going to say, look, the way you do marketing has changed. We no longer do things for leads. We do, we, <laughs> we do it because we're going to give um, value. Then we don't know how or when they're going to come back and buy, but we just, we know they are. And he or she is going to say, great. How do we track this? And then Chris, how do you respond to that? We track it in revenue. Right. And what they're going to keep drilling down more and more on is like the soup to nuts. Wow. How does this equate to this and this, and you know, so the argument on one side is, I know it sucks. So you have to say, well, we're going to go off directionally, directionally. Um, and we're going to at least get this, um, we're at least going to get, um, leading indicators down. Right. So we're at least going to look at things like um, visits to the page. And once they get there, we're going to look at time on page. We're going to look at scroll depth. We're going to look at heat mapping software that tells you what the engagement is like. You're going to run um, session recording on that page. And you're going to watch what happens when people consume that content. Right. And you're going to make um, an informed, educated decision based on the leading indicators. And then you need hopefully leadership that aligns with your, your way of thinking, because if they're super 1997, what they're going to say is, well, we need leads, sales, qualified leads, dollar in, dollar out. And Chris and I always talk about this, but you know, it's about aligning the channel to the intent and social is not necessarily for B2B large, complex deals, large, um, contract values. Uh, social is not a great channel for that. Hell yeah. Do you have an argument for SEO or are you just going to agree with me? <laughs> oh, SEO, definitely. I mean, look, for sure. I mean, look, really, this is, <laughs> there's no question about it. I mean, look, if you are working at a startup or a young company um, and you tell them, I want to invest in SEO. Well, first of all, let me just pause. Let's just call this out real quick. You know that bullshit? It depends. It takes six months to get SEO results. It's actually not true. Uh, unless you're a brand new website. If you're a brand new website, you're a ghost with no authority, then yeah, yeah. It's going to take six, eight, 12 months, depending on how complex the SEO strategy is, how difficult the keyword, um, the keywords that you're targeting are, the, the competitive landscape, all that looks like. But if, I mean, if you're some small to mid-sized company, I'm sure you've got tons of authority stashed away. If you, pre, if you produce um, highly optimized content that is aligned to a specific uh, ICP, it comes from an authentic and genuine place. You get a really good writer to develop that content. You build links to it organically. No, no black hat bullshit, all white hat. Um, you're going to rank. It's not going to take six months, you know, unless you're trying to rank for something like CRM. Uh, so let's just call that out there. It doesn't take six months to rank anymore for SEO terms. Um, would I go paid social or SEO? All day I would go SEO, but for one main reason. Um, I only work with companies that I know SEO is a huge opportunity for them because SEO is like my specialty. I'm great at it. There's not a lot of people out there that are great at SEO. I know what I'm great at. 
Um, I'm also good with Google ads, but if I had to put myself head to head in the ring with somebody, you know, <clears throat> create a better Google ads campaign or, or rank for the most difficult keyword out there, I would, I would go the rank the most difficult keyword out there. Cause that's what I know I'm the best at. Um, so it's aligning my strengths also to, and to the opportunities that I choose and the kinds of companies that I work with. So that's just, you know, skill, skill to, you know, product to company fit. And you need to make that decision before you work with um, a certain type of company. I see some point in the future, by the way, the Gatano SEO powerhouse and the paid social for me combining into some massive thing. So we'll keep an eye out for that. We got a, we got a quick question from Jeremy. I'll answer it here. It's relevant. Um, three minutes read time for paid social, regardless of the medium. Um, so here's what, you, here's what you need to think about. So when people are looking at their Facebook feed or their Instagram feed, they're typically doing something else. They're in a meeting, they're on a train, they are walking between meetings, they're walking to the bathroom. People usually don't sit and scroll forever. Um, and so for that reason, I've done enough of these. We've uh, in, in, Since I've been doing this, I've probably spent well over a, a million dollars on Facebook ad campaigns to do this stuff. And three minutes is the drop off. So if you, and it also forces you to simplify. And so how do you distill what you need to communicate into something very, very simple? The best way to do it is, we talked about this last week, is to think before you write it, what am I trying to accomplish? If there's one sentence takeaway that I want someone to take away from after reading this, what is it? And then just try and get that across. So um, yes, I do believe that uh, you said regardless of medium, like most people that are if we deliver Facebook ads, 99 point something percent of them are being delivered on mobile devices. And the read time that we find on mobile devices, the target is less than three minutes. Awesome. We should go into Andrew's follow-up, <clears throat> which is uh, paid social versus SEO. Um, are they mutually exclusive? If you understand your buyer messaging, all that stuff, doesn't it align together with your um, paid social strategy? And for uh, sure. for, the answer is yes, uh, for sure. But um, it also depends on, uh, I, I believe, a few things. Um, if, let's see, Adam also said something else. But anyway, what I was going to say was, um, if you are a company that is not good at nurturing top funnel um, and you have a gated content strategy and you do a lot of paid social um to, to generate downloads, say, for a white paper or an on-demand replay or something like that. Um, if you're not great at email, then it's kind of a waste because you have no way of getting that download to a point where you'll ever know if it's going to be a sales conversation unless they just keep coming back to your site because you produce great content and maybe you retarget them and all these sorts of things. Um, so in short, like there are a lot of areas where SEO and paid social can align really nicely. Um, another, another one is like uh, content promotion, right? Like I've seen, um, like middle of the funnel content that you want to rank. You can give it bursts of traffic through, through, um, paid social. And if the, if the alignment is there and the engagement on the, on the page is good, that's going to send positive signals to search engines because it shows more dwell time on your content. And it's, it's a signal that it's, it's a relevant piece. So those are just some, some top of my thoughts. I'm sure Chris has some more, but they're, they're not mutually exclusive. It's not necessarily one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can, you should do both. Right. Um, and then you have to prioritize 
the approach. So, um, like we, Gatano broke down last week and I'm not an SEO expert, so he'll come in and correct me when I'm, when I go off base here. But, um, from an SEO standpoint, you want to rank on your intent terms first, cloud, cloud communication software first, before you go for the long tail stuff. Um, and so I, I believe that you'd like ideally do them in parallel. They both work. They, they're not mutually ex- exclusive. They work together. The, the, point of the conversation was to debate which one, if you had to pick one, cause I do have conversations with early stage companies at 2 million ARR that are like, um, they come and talk to me and they're like, we, we want to manage service for content writing for SEO. And I'm like, it's not really what we do. If you're 2 million ARR and you're trying to get results, like, are you going to try and outsource your content or would you rather like try and do something different? So that's why I brought it up. But yes, if you're, you know, a $40 million company, you should be going hard in both. Agreed. And I think the higher transactional, you know, higher velocity sales model you have, the better both of those channels are going to work to your favor. Like let's say you're dollar shave club. You definitely want to have both of those pump in, Mm. right? Um, if you're say, I don't know, Salesforce, you have unlimited money. Yeah. You're going to have those pump in too. Um, but there, I, I can think of maybe a few scenarios where like paid social may not make sense. SEO may not, not make sense. For example, um, if you're in an industry that has like very, very, very low search volume or essentially none that's commercially oriented, SEO may, may be a wash for you. Mm. There may be nothing there unless you're going really big on like vertical specific, even then there's no volume. So you'd have to just start going up funnel at that point, start looking at adjacent, you know, topical buckets to start targeting just for awareness. And then, um, you know, the problem there is you don't really have much to, to funnel them down to. So, you know, you got to kind of, it's a case by case basis. It's never, never one size fits all. Let's see what we got for questions. We got a couple coming in here. Thanks. By the way, anyone that's new, if you have just joined, if you have questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. We got a couple others. We'll run through them all. Uh, We got a question from Ashley. Okay. So let's say you just started as a director of marketing for a SaaS company that has six or seven separate solutions. They're all shrinking bought years ago and marketing efforts, including content are stale at best. Last blog post was two to five years ago. What would you do in the first three months on a lean budget to reduce churn and grow subscriptions? Kick it off, my man. man. It's a good one. This is good. All right. So see, she's got a notepad out. <laughs> All right. So basically, you know, you got no money. That's, that's something to keep in mind, right? You got no money. Um, and this is what you do. You go and start listening to sales calls and talking to customers and you start listening to support calls as well. And you start thinking about areas where you can make optimizations to free channels based on the feedback that you're getting by listening to the sales calls and hearing what sales feedback you're getting. Um, so like, like a a good example of this is like the pricing page, right? Um, get sales feedback on the pricing page, put, put a free tool on the pricing page, like hot jar and start looking at heat map data and start where, you know, free traffic is going, which is the pricing page. And you can, oh, she said no sales team. All right. No sales team. Fuck it. You got the pricing page, uh, right? You got the pricing page. Um, so you got the pricing page. That's always the top place to start. Um, apply heat map 
data. Uh, yeah. So basically apply heat maps and use hot jar, um, tracking technology to start looking at the highest intent pages on the website, start looking at heat maps for the pricing page, uh, heat map data for free. Yes. Hot jar is free. Um, I believe they have a freemium version. Yes. Um, so, so you, you do the pricing page, you do the home page, you do the top couple of product pages, maybe some feature pages. And from there you start trying to get an assessment of like what's going on with the website funnel. Um, and where can we start making quick free wins and, you know, just getting even executive team feedback from pricing, try to get some kind of pricing page feedback from somebody who was, who knows that industry, maybe analysts, someone, there's gotta be someone out there that you can start working with on this to make improvements. Um, and before you do all that, get your baseline together. So start understanding like what does, um, traffic look like to the pricing page? What does engagement look like for the pricing page? What are, and then what are some of the backend metrics, right? Um, you, you usually have things like the deal size, um, the conversion rate on that landing page, and then the deal size that comes from it, the opportunity amount, the rate at which, um, uh, opportunities close, um, and, and start kind of getting into the backend metrics with your sales process. And, and if it's all self-service online checkout, that's one thing. If it's just, you know, submit a form and get a demo, like whatever it is, start figuring out like where, where are the areas to start making improvements with free channels? Um, I, I know Chris, you probably have a ton of other ideas, but that's just for, for what comes to mind, um, hearing the situation, uh, for me. Right on. Yeah. So when, when I look at this, a couple key things stick out to me. The first thing is six or seven separate solutions. Um, the second thing that sticks out to me is, um, they're all shrinking. Um, and then you mentioned some stuff about, about content. So I, I look at this as, is you, it's strategy before tactics. And so it's like out of the six or seven solutions, which one is the most important to highlight? Like, and so Gatano mentioned this, I would, I would talk to customers, um, customers that churned. This is a huge insight for people. Um, customers that churned, I, I've done this before. I would call customers. I would make up my title and say I was the director of customer happiness or whatever. And I would ask them why they churned, what they weren't getting. If they decided to go with a different solution, what was it and why? Um, what we could have done better to keep their business. And if you position it the right way, like all I want to do is learn how we can get better next time. Most people are open to having a 10 minute conversation telling you the truth. Um, and so I would de definitely do that over that. All that qualitative data is going to point you in some direction. Ideally, there's a top product out of the seven that you should focus on. And then once you find that one, then it starts getting into tactics highlighted in the hero. Um, the, the, the tactics become like more of what Gatano said, web analysis, how are you getting the traffic? Like a lot of that stuff we have documented content on, but I think the first step is for you is really figuring out that, that, that piece about where you should focus. You have limited resources and a lean budget, which where's the most important places for you to put your attention. Right on. Yeah. I mean, an example of a company doing it right. Um, I hate, I hate to give them uh, free promotion because they're uh, indirect competitor, but got to give it up to Freshworks, uh, a company out of um, Chennai, India. And they, um, man, they have their shit together. So if you go to freshworks.com and you look at the, the products drop down menu, 
you will see the way that they market those individual products as really individualized buying experiences, right? So they have um, CRM, IT service desk, um, you know, marketing automation, live chat, chat bots, um, all these sorts of marketing tools, right? Um, and then even their homepage is super simple. They, they kind of have all these tools, but they give a lot of, um, they give a lot of love to like the six biggest tools. So, I mean, your company in the case has seven marketing tools or whatever that only one has maybe some potential. <laughs> Freshworks is an example of a company that has like maybe let's see, three, six, nine, 12, like 14 different products, but they only highlight the top six. So exactly what Chris was saying, just that smaller scale, find like the, the biggest one or two products that are humming and figure out how to, you know, use those, um, to kind of, you know, get more shrimp in, you know, casting a wider net, uh, net for more shrimp and then like upselling later potentially into those other ones. But you can't go to market with everything. It's too hard. So pick one or two and then just try to nail that. Right on. Great. We got a question from Travis. This is going to, this is going to test us a little bit, I feel like. So he's looking for uh, creative marketing approaches for a B2B business that focuses on regional sales. For instance, commercial landscape contractor that sells to property management companies that oversee retail centers, class A office parks, tech campuses, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Commercial landscape contractor that sells to property management companies. All right. Got it. Property management. Yeah. I mean, so great. <clears throat> um, the first thing that comes to mind is kind of localized marketing. Uh, I see Chris, you're kind of <laughs> not in your head there, right? So it's, it's completely different when you're dealing with localized versus, um, location agnostic. So you need to focus first of all on, um, the, the, let's see the regions that are producing like the best results and kind of see if you can draw some commonalities around like why those, the, why that happens in certain regions and then get kind of your, um, your Google, my business in order, um, your local reviews, you gotta get all that humming Yelp, um, uh, the Google, my business. There's a bunch, there's maybe a, a few others, maybe in real estate, there's a, like some of those, you know, um, aggregator and directory sites that you might need to need to get on and then local targeting local ads, um, local SEO, all these things. Basically you take all the same kind of marketing fundamentals that you would, um, apply to like an agnostic, a location agnostic, uh, strategy and apply that in a more localized way. Um, I don't know how deep I should get into the tactics here. I feel like I can go on this for a long time, but you know, an example of like what we do at Nextiva is like, um, you know, we'll do best business phone, number, best business phone service for Dallas, Texas. Right. And then we'll create uh, local city pages that target those search queries, even though the volume is low, the intent is high and it won't be like a cookie cutter template that just switches names of cities, but keeps all the content the same. Cause that's how you get uh, in trouble with duplicate content and, you know, low quality spin off thin content, but you can make them unique by having you know, city specific landmark information, uh, the job kind of market stats for that area. There's a lot of ways you can personalize city uh, specific pages to not be essentially spam content. And if you optimize it the right way, you can get a lot of long tail, high intent traffic to your site. Um, so those are just some things that come to mind, but I'll pause there. 
Yeah, I think you, I think you crushed it. There's, um, the, the way that I think about this in any type of business, I feel like I have a clear way of putting it now. The step one is capture existing demand. And so the stuff like local business reviews, Yelp, like those people are, they're looking, they already have intent, be in the places where they're looking and be able to capture that demand. Um, paid localized paid search would be a good one too, but it might be expensive. Um, the next step is create new demand. So the way that I create new demand, and there's a lot of different ways you can go organic or paid social, I think is the best way targeted. Like if you want to do it, paid social is probably the way, um, property manager, for sure is a target and you can pick the location and the audience is going to be small. So it's going to be super cheap and you can use that as if you are sending direct mail or if you're distributing content or any of these, you can, you can use that channel in a lot of different ways. Um, and the third one is win on brand. And so if you're able to capture demand and then you have a repeatable process to create new demand, then the next step is to start winning in, I, I think long form organic social content. Or, or SEO for that matter, long form organic content, um, which then over time will lower your customer acquisition, uh, customer acquisition costs. And ideally you wouldn't need to use the paid channels forever to continue to create that new demand because your or organic channels start taking over. And that's like a three-step process for any business. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's perfect. I mean, one <clears throat> final idea is to find local influencers in that market and leverage, oh, yeah. leverage them if you can. Um, I don't know what any examples of that might be in commercial real estate because that is an industry I'm unfamiliar with, but there's always in real estate some way to grab someone who has influence. Like that's a very uh, influence friendly market, if you want to call it that. Uh, so, you know, that's another idea for you as well. Yeah, we had a, we had a topic jamming around. So we'll, we'll jump to that, which is, is what do you think about the idea of B2B influencer marketing? It was a question that we got kind of in, in chit chat before the show started. Would be interested in your take. Yeah. Um, be very careful with that word. I'll start with that because, um, you know, to be a thought leader, you have to have a thought. And what I mean by that is there's too many people trying to be like Gary V who um, haven't actually done the work. And you need to be very careful with this on LinkedIn because anyone now can say they're whatever uh, SEO expert paid ads, guru um, lead generation wizard, you name it, the list goes on and on, but actually they haven't done the work. So the problem with that um, reflects also in content marketing as well. Um, and Google's fighting back against this really hard. Um, so there's a, there's a set of criteria that Google has basically announced um, called EAT. That's E-A-T, expertise, authority, and, and trustworthiness. And one thing they do is not just look at the topical authority and topical depth of a given website and domain authority of a given website, but they also apply that same kind of evaluation to the individual level. So if you're an author that publishes, um, you know, best credit cards for students, right? If you're, if you're giving away that kind of information and you're in the category of, they call it YMYL, your money, your life. Um, this is a category of content that, um, can, can provide information, uh, uh, regarding huge decision-making that will affect someone's life in a huge way credit cards, uh, 
how to get out of loan debt, uh, loan forgiveness, like all these huge financial things that, you know, Google really has done a good, a better job, I would say of monitoring, like who is giving that information, who is qualified to give that information. That's why if you look at the author bios on these pages, it can't just be, you know, some random person, some random content marketer, right? Like it has to come from like someone that has a background in finance that is qualified to give this information out. Um, so I think there is a danger with like relying too much on B2B thought leaders and influencers because like so many of them are just straight up bullshit. Um, so do your due diligence, be careful and don't get too oversold on this idea. Um, you know, co-promotion and co-marketing with like niche micro influencers in your B2B space, I think is a better idea. Like don't like try to get a partnership going with Gary V was a huge network. And like, it's, it, you know, yeah, you're going to get maximum top level visibility, but you know, if you're in freight shipping, right? Like who fucking cares about Gary V find the most influential person in freight shipping and work with that person. Um, so that's, I'll leave it at that. Chris, any, any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, um, the, the place where I want to start on this one is like B2C influencer marketing is essentially like brands either giving away or paying people to post content on Instagram about the product. And it looks very much like an advertisement. And the idea that, that people like professional people in B2B would do that. I think I just find it weird. Like if a company came to me and said, Hey, we'll pay you a thousand dollars to post out a product on LinkedIn. I'd be like, make a product that's worth posting about and I'll do it for free. You know what I mean? Like I, I, right. I shout out the products that bring me value and I, they don't need to pay me for it. It's called word of mouth. Like it's called delivering right. a good product and building a brand. And so um, I think that is kind of like step one, the ideas about how you could quasi do it, which I, I, I wouldn't even call it influencer marketing at this point. Um, I think the best way is to start a podcast and invite the 50 people that you think are most influential onto your podcast. And then when they're done, the podcast have somebody that's really good edit five or six of their sound bites that they said of something smart, edit for them, ship it to them. So they have exactly what to post. And then if they want to, they can post, but they're not obligated to do so. But if someone made like, uh, I, I went on a, a podcast one time and somebody like the, distilled it into three ideas and made a little like PowerPoint slide that you could go through and it looked great. And if they had sent it to me, I would have posted it and it would have brought a ton of awareness to their company. And so I think there are ways to kind of like do it, but I'm not even sure at that point it's influencer marketing anymore. Like I'm not, I'm not sure what to call it. Um, so those are some thoughts. Yeah. I, I just call it co-marketing at that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, we got, Oh wow. 20 messages. We are falling behind here. A lot of good ideas. You got one off the top of your head. You want me to sort through? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we could probably bring up the LinkedIn post. I, I, um, I came out with the other day that kind of exploded. Mm. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with it, I'll share it to you guys right now in the, uh, in the chat. Um, but, uh, basically the, the, um, the root debate, um, in, in the, uh, in the post was regarding how long does it take or how much experience do you need of professional B2B acquisition marketing in a demand generation role? How many years of experience do you need before you are ready to lead demand gen marketing at a medium sized, say fast growing SaaS company? 
Um, and you know, I posted about this because I have a lot of friends, um, in, in SaaS businesses that are looking right now for, um, you know, demand generation marketing, like leaders who can come, come to their companies full time and, you know, basically take that marketing program to the next level. Um, and in my description here uh, on this post, um, is a, uh, basically a set of criteria that I would consider. Um, based on what I know the quality for high, high, um, performance marketing looks like for demand generation. Here's, here's a set of criteria based on what I feel is a high bar of excellence. And in that I said three to five years of experience at, at minimum. So it's possible that it could be more, but at minimum, I would expect to see a range of three to five years of experience for someone before they take that leap to leading a demand generation team at let's say a, a small or fast growing tech company, medium size, maybe. Um, and you know, basically I was met with a lot of fire and fury in the comments because of basically that the idea of this, this unicorn fit is too unrealistic of a person that you need at least 10 years of SaaS marketing experience to be at this level of performance to meet all this criteria that this is really CMO level thinking and it's too unrealistic to expect this level of performance and skill depth for somebody that only has five years of experience. And I stand by my decision that, you know, you learn more in two years at a startup than you do at five years climbing the corporate ladder at Salesforce right? So five years at Salesforce is not the same as five years of, I was at an agency. I was at a startup for maybe two years. I went to a mid-sized company now and I've had, you know, two years, maybe a year and a half of experience in each bucket. Um, and before that I was maybe doing some of my own experimentation with B2B marketing. And, and I've seen a lot of different client types. I've seen a lot of different businesses. I've carried a number. I know what it takes right? That person has, has very different five-year lens than the corporate marketer from Salesforce at five years. So Chris, I'll pause there and allow for some reaction, but that's kind of what caused a huge uh, shitstorm on LinkedIn uh, this week on my profile. Yeah. I mean, I've been, uh, I've been talking about this for probably five years now, back when I was 26 and I thought that I had the skills and no one would give me the shot because I only had blah, blah, blah years of experience or whatever. But what they didn't see is that I built a couple companies on the side and I figured out how to build a website and I figured out how to run social ads and I figured out how to create content and work with designers and hire freelancers and do all these different things. They didn't see that before they hired me. Um, they also didn't see that I worked a lot. Like, and I'm not, I'm not encouraging people to work a lot. I wanted to, cause I knew that I wanted to eventually start a company and I really liked doing this and learning it. And so I, I worked a lot. Um, and when I, when I did, I learned faster than the people that weren't working as much because I worked hard and smart. And so, um, I do not, ne I never look at a years of experience guide. Am I better now than I was three years ago? For sure. Like experience does experience matters. Um, but the, by quantifying it in a number of years, I, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. Um, and the last thing that I would talk about, like you in the post, if people looked at it, like there was a long list of things. I think that the key in someone going from 
to actually leading a demand gen team is the idea of understanding how all the channels work together. Most people are very, very good at one channel, but do not understand how to put all the pieces together. I think for people that want to lead demand gen teams, figuring that out is the number one because most people don't know how. Um, so we talk about things like awareness versus intent channels and how to use them and which retargeting and what conversion points and where should the traffic be coming from and how to look at the, the funnel conversions and all these different ideas. Like nailing that is the ticket because most people either don't, don't see it that way or are in that role and actually don't even care to look. Yeah, I, I agreed. I, I mean, I would, I would agree with all your points, Chris. I think, I think some of the people on that thread took the post way too literally. Um, I think there's a problem with that as well. But essentially, you know, my take on this from doing this now um, for a while is that the, you don't have to be a unicorn level, you know, um, virtuoso level skill in every single marketing channel, right? That's what people thought I said, and that's actually not possible, right? Like you cannot be the best at UX. You can't design code, write strategy, keyword research, right? Brand, like it adds, it's uh-huh. not realistic, right? So my, my advice is become a deep expertise holder of knowledge and wisdom in at least one channel, ideally two. For me, those channels are SEO and SEM. Uh, cause I'm, I'm really good with all things search. Um, that's my jam. Um, but I know a lot about like email marketing. I'm a good copywriter. Good I know content. how to write ad copy. Yeah. I could write content, could write blog articles, right? I'm writing my own book. So, right. I know enough about that. I know enough about user experience and conversion optimization. I know how to work with creative teams, how to give developers feedback. You know, you don't want to ever say, Hey, can you make this bigger? (laughs) What you want to say is, Hey, can you reduce the padding on this CTA button by maybe six pixels? Right. Like you want to be able to speak their language. Right. Um, if I go to Spain, most people there don't speak English, right? So like I'm forced to speak Spanish depending on where I go. See, Ariana's fine. <laughs> uh, if, I go, if I go to Italy, my, my parents' home country and I go to the South, really no one outside of Rome speaks English. So you have to speak Italian. Um, it's the same thing when you're working with, with creatives and devs. You know, you really want to speak their language as much as possible. Same thing applies to C-level. You don't want to be talking to your, your, your C-level team um, about backlinks. I mean, what the fuck is a backlink? Right. And why do they care? Um, why do they care? You don't want to be talking to them about impression ratios and overlap rates w- with your ads, with your competitor ads. They're going to be like, what is this? What is, <laughs> what's all our revenue? Like that's it. So, um, uh, you know, I'll pause there. I, I, could, I feel like I could rant on this for days, but I'll pause there. <laughs> yeah. I, I posted about that earlier this week, which is that it, marketers need to elevate how they report to executives to business level metrics, which then gets the executives out of the weeds about how many website visits and what the conversion rate is on your SEO blog. So if you talk to executives about revenue and pipeline and things that matter to them, then I've found that they stop asking questions about things that they don't need to, that is in the weeds for them. Um, so let's jump. We got a, we got a question from Matthew. It's a good one. I think we can jam on this for a minute. So, um, I struggle with email marketing strategies off things like webinars. I've gotten tons of registrants and attendees, and I'm kind of drawing a blank on what to do in nurture campaigns aside from the obligatory. Thanks for attending. What are some of your approaches to email marketing to add value and limit 
turning off your prospects, especially in an industry that's ruined with email marketing, rebate offers, demo requests, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my God. I love this. Very relevant for the time right now. I love this. Chris, why don't you go first? I feel like I'm taking all the the first stabs at everything. Yeah. So my, my hot take on this is we need to stop calling it a nurture. Like they're just, people. I, I knew you were going to say that <laughs> they're just people. And so, um, that's like the first, the first step. Um, and then the next thing, like the thanks for attending webinar, unless you're going to send the recording, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even send that. And then from there, like my vision on this is that you're producing so much content and you're distributing it that they should just get into the flow. Like you should have a flow of content in email that's going out on a weekly basis that is driven on value. You can mix in a promotional or product announcement every once in a while, but mostly value. Long form video, podcast, new podcast release, new this. Um, I've been real, like we're beginning to test right now, like plain text emails, almost like if I was writing, I'm actually, you guys would probably get one because we're going to start testing this. So let me shoot me an email back if you're like, this sucks or if you think it's good. Um, but I'm going to start writing as, as if it was just me writing to you. Like that would be our marketing email. Like almost like if I took my LinkedIn post, made it longer, very concise and wrote it to you in blind carbon, carbon copied 400 other people. So if you think it's good, then let me know. Cause you guys attended. So we'll be, we'll, we'll start testing some of this out. And if you think, if you get feedback, I would really appreciate it. But those are some different, um, different ideas. Um, but when it comes down to it, it, it it's really, if you, if you don't know what to send, it's rooted actually in the content, not the email, not the email strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with that. Um, I also think that, uh, B2B emails are just getting too boring. Um, no one's paying attention anymore cause they're all the same, no matter what you do, they're all the same shit. So I'm going to actually get really tactical right now and I'm going to share my screen and I'm going to show you guys some things that I'm experimenting with, um, at Nextiva that I think is pretty unique and pretty cool. Um, and this really comes down to like knowing your audience well, because when you guys see what I'm about to show you, um, the first thing you're going to say is like, um, yeah, like, I don't know, like this doesn't seem like it would work, but I know my audience and I know this will work. So I'm going to share my screen, um, and let you guys see what I'm up to here. Okay. So check this out. There is a, um, this is what I mean about being boring or not. So, so the 48 laws of power book, there's law 37 that says create compelling spectacles. And this is something that B2B marketers have completely forgotten about. They've just lost sight of like, you have to be actually like entertaining in some way. You have to do something different to grab attention. Um, so we, um, looked at some of our affinities with our audience, um, through some tools and we found that they were fans of shark tank fans of shark tank. So what do we do? We, uh, we, we, we found the service called, um, cameo where you can pay celebrities to talk about your brand. And we're using this in an email uh, campaign. We're going to see how it goes, but ideally um, this is how it's all going to work. So the subject line is a message from Mr. Wonderful. Look how short this is. Mr. Wonderful has a message for you. Check it out to the video. By the way, try next even for free today. Link to free trial. Otherwise, as Mr. Wonderful says, you're dead to me. And that's it. That's short. They click on this. They get, they see the video. They click on that. They see the video. That's it. See the video or try for free. Right. So it's really short and catchy emails that I think are going to start, um, 
being the new wave of emails. Um, and, uh, I'm also going to show you guys an example of an email I got today, which is the complete opposite of that. Um, and then you guys can see the difference. So let me show you this real quick and then we'll pause because I don't want to hog up too much of your time. All right. So this is what I got today. Uh, hi, uh, get more leads for enterprise IT, right? This seems like a webinar follow-up, Matthew. This is what like most webinar email follow-ups look like. If you want business from high-end enterprise IT professionals, blah, 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 blah. Nope. No thanks. Right. Um, so unfortunately this is what companies are doing right now. Tone deaf in the middle of coronavirus. And, um, this is every day, right? So Mr. Wonderful, and then you have this, right? So you see what I mean? And things are so bad right now that you don't even have to try that hard to stand out and be different. It's this bad. So even something very, very uh, relatively good will stand out more because everything else is so bad. So yeah, I'll pause that. Cool. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't answer the email questions that came in so we can knock these off real quick from Dasha. Um, The first one is, um, is there any information you can provide that I can provide to the legal department for one of my customers to make it more likely for them to approve an interview with me for content? Um, The only thing that I would say on that is try your best to set the expectations up front. Um, it might be nice to have a one, one page sheet of paper that talks through the goals, where it's going to be used, whether or not it's paid distribution, that they have approval before it goes out, like do your best to give, to put them in control. And then, and then you have to work within those things. I've found, um, there's been a lot of like, we had uh, a case study we did with a hospital and then, you know, we went there, filmed it, recorded it. It was awesome. And then the company that owned the ho- the hospital group that owned the hospital came in at the last minute. It was like, you can't use the name. And then we had to, we had to publish a case study without using the hospital's name. And it was just not that cool. So setting the expectations up, up front before you go and do all the work is probably, um, probably a really good approach. The second thing I'd offer is working with smaller companies usually helps. I know you want the, I know it's best to have the big logo, like WeWork or something. Not probably, maybe not WeWork right now for that matter, but I see it on a lot of SaaS company websites. Um, I know you want the big logo because it stands out, but the story is more important. Awesome advice. You know, Chris, why, why you were saying all that, I had another idea for Matthew. Um, <clears throat> so one, one trick I I've done, uh, that actually works really well really well is, um, you say, um, to the webinars follow-ups, you say, you be really honest about it. And you say straight up, we don't, uh, Hey, first name, I really don't want to automatically opt you into some annoying, stupid nurture period. Next sentence. I want to give you the option of staying in touch with us, comma, if that's what you really want to do, please feel free to opt into our monthly content newsletter in which you will uh, receive X, Y, Z thing. Feel free to opt in if you want to keep in touch. If not, maybe see you on the next webinar. Cheers, Matthew. (laughs) That is a way to not be annoying and still get people into your content funnel. And that's, you know, 
what that that's an example of one way that I would say, you know, demand gen has changed. It used to be webinar to SDR cadence. Now it's webinar to maybe opt into my monthly newsletter or biweekly newsletter and then just hit them with value. Mm-hmm. Never pitch, mm-hmm. never pitch. And then eventually they buy. It was very Josh, Josh Braun esque of you that, that little statement, just how you said it and what you said. It was great. Um, <laughs> we got, we got a detailed question coming in from David. Uh, what marketing strategy or tactics for this con context series, a software used by a hundred potential enterprise customers, no SDRs, 20 K marketing budget success is measured by five new opportunities. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so all you need is five opportunities. Who asked that question? David. Oh, he did. All right. So I guess all you need is five opportunities. I mean, Chris, I, I mean, you, you, you know how to answer this better than me. Actually. I know how to explain this, but I'm going to go on a rant. You, you have, I know you have a pre canned concise <laughs> answer to this cause it comes up so much and I, yes. I already know what you're going to say. So I'll let you do it. Thank God. Success is not measured by opportunity creation. And so, um, if someone is measuring the success of my work on how many opportunities that I create, I either try and get aligned with them that we can create a million opportunities and close zero deals, or we can create as many opportunities that create revenue. And so uh, I'm not sure if that came off, uh, clearly, but I opportunities created is a leading metric. A better metric would be qualified pipeline creation and a better metric than that would be revenue. Yeah. I mean, maybe what he's trying to get at is like, if I needed to get five opportunities fast, how would I do that? Mm -hmm. Um, Let's play. we We can go down that. I feel like the answer is always the same here. And it's find out already what's working and do more of it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else to really put it to you, but like the reason why this doesn't happen though is because companies don't look at the back end metrics, right? So this is what'll happen. You'll go into a Google ads account and you'll see like 10 different ad groups and you'll see like this keyword bucket, this keyword bucket, this keyword bucket, this keyword bucket. And you'll look at the the monthly performance and you'll sort it by total spend. You'll sort it by clicks, impressions, and cost per lead. And you sort by cost per lead. And Chris, you you, you know how I'm going. Don't get me started. You sort by cost per lead. You already know how I'm going. You sort by cost per lead and you say, um, you know, we spent a lot here, but we ended up getting actually, you know, 20 leads at this cost per lead which um, if you look at the other campaign, we spend less, but we got less leads um, at a different conversion rate. But when you look at the backend metrics of that, it's, it tells a completely different story. The ad group where you spent less that had um, potentially even a higher cost per conversion had better opportunity to close ratios and higher, uh, higher um, one amounts. So the and companies get it wrong at first because they just kind of cut off at the cost per lead conversation. Um, and they, the data is broken or unreliable or, um, X, Y, Z number of other problems that are, that are created or just, you're just not looking at the right numbers. Mm-hmm. Like you're just not, you're not even bothering to look at that. Like some AdWords marketers, some search marketers just look at front of metrics, like, uh, clicks, impressions, uh, landing page conversion rates and cost per lead. And that is a recipe for failure, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to close on this one, 
I think that there are a lot of things that you can do to create five new opportunities without doing outbound. Um, the time window is interesting. There's like a lot of different variables, but it all comes back to the same stuff that we talk about. Create a long form video show. If you're going organic, do SEO, paid social can work. Um, email could work. Asking for referrals from your existing customer base could work. Like there, there's just so many different things that could work in that, that case that, um, that that's, that's kind of where I'll leave it. And I'm going to jump into what Gatano was talking about real quick, which is that, um, is measuring on cost per lead. And so like, <clears throat> I talk about this at a lot on LinkedIn, maybe we can go a little bit deeper on it, but like the, the, what, what I offer for instance, and what is for sake of conversation is basically like we measure ourselves on qualified pipeline and revenue for our clients. And I we're out competing with people that measure themselves on cost per lead. And when the person can converts on the lead gen form on LinkedIn, they don't care what happens after that. And if they hit a $400 CPA, they win um, without ever looking at it. And so it's an interesting, like uh, where I think we could create something unique from a content standpoint is why is this, why is it like this? Um, and so there's a couple different theories that I have on it. One is that traditionally these types of functions were outsourced and to, in terms of what you can control, you can only control it until the lead and then blah, blah, blah from there. So that's one. The other one to look at it is, I think, which is more interesting and kind of a little bit into the question David asked is like, um, are companies scoring their marketing team like an SDR team? Are they scoring company or their performance on a leading metric like number of leads and how much they cost? Sorry, I was responding to, to Matthew. <laughs> Uh, can you repeat the question? Um, I was just talking about why, why would companies, um, why do companies measure on cost per lead? Oh, um, because it's easy Mm. because it's easy and it's hard to get, especially if you have long sales cycles and you're doing ABM, man, I don't know anyone who's really doing that well. Um, even Nextiva admittedly, you know, even with as good as our UTM, uh, tagging, um, taxonomy is, uh, we've never really had full funnel, you know, every touch point tracked, uh, attribution. And we're, we're discussing, uh, rolling that out right now with a a tool called visible. Um, I don't know how it's going to go. We haven't piloted yet, but they're saying all the right things. They're saying things that, I mean, by the way, they're, they're explaining this to me. It's, it's a demand marketers dream. Um, I'm drooling at at what I've seen so far, but we got to put it into play and see how the pilot goes. Um, but if you're doing a lot of top of funnel and a lot of blog, um, this is a great way to start saying to your CEO, Hey, that, that all that blog investment that you said was, was not worth our time. Oh, by the way, there's, you know, X tens of thousands of MRR attributable to, to that, you know, um, the most highly, the most highly common conversion path on the website, uh, contains a visit to this blog post or this set of blog posts. Right. So you can start to understand the education, um, flow of the buyers on how they educate themselves. And that's great demand gen. That is great demand gen. When you provide enough to where they can educate themselves and they should be knocking on the door to sales pretty much with their wallets open. Right. Like Chris always says, you know, uh, super high close rates, that really is the, the, the great measure of awesome demand gen. You need to have high close rates and be measuring that by source. 
And coming and really what it comes down to is, are we profitable by channel and then by source within that channel and by how much? And that's what it comes down to. Love it. That seems like a great place to end. Um, we are pretty much done with the questions. Um, so you got any, got any closing thoughts? And it looks like we're going to end pretty much on time. So for those that maybe your first, first time here, sometimes we burn it down until like 9 PM, but we'll, uh, we'll get everyone into bed at a good hour. And actually it's only five 30 on the West coast, but it's getting late here. Um, so yeah, you got any closing thoughts? Ah, man. And closing thoughts is, you know, this shit is hard work guys. You know, I appreciate you coming back in every, every week. Uh, it's been fun. <laughs> But yeah, there's no substitute for hard work. This, this shit is tough, man. And it's, it's, it's only getting tougher and don't believe the hype. Anyone that tells you that there's shortcuts around this stuff, it's hard work, whether it's AdWords, whether it's product marketing, whether it's SEO, whether it's paid ads, you really just got to get in there and do the work. There's no substitute for it. Automation is going to help, um, you know, coming to Q and A's and hangouts like this is going to help, but this shit is hard, man. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. So mm -hmm. Chris, any, any parting words from you? Um, the only thing that I've been thinking to kind of play off that is, um, I've really started to try and, uh, get away from the term growth hacking. I don't think there are any hacks to actually growing a business. I think it's just doing the right things very well. Um, it's not a hack. It's just a, uh, a tactic that seems to work better than others. Um, and so the ones that are pitching hacks are usually measuring something on leading metrics like cost per lead. And if you want, I can get you a million leads by buying Zoom info and sending you the email addresses. And if those are, is that's what you consider a lead, then I could do pretty good on that leading metric and that would be considered a hack. But if you're trying to get, especially in a complex B2B sale, good marketing, the difference between bad and good marketing gets exposed in complex B2B. It totally. really does. Totally. I mean, I'll give some quick examples of what I consider to be growth hacks that are effective. Um, and they're not hacks. That's the funny part about it. So by the way, you should only start thinking about things, these things, once you have the marketing flywheel in place and things are already in progress and happening, um, and you've established your growth cadence, like your rhythm of regularly occurring activities that are producing meaningful results on a consistent basis. And one, one example of a growth hack is in the case of Nextiva, um, all of our competitors have, um, kind of HD video conferencing and we did not have it. So what did we do? we partnered with Amazon chime and we appended, um, Amazon chime HD video conferencing service, um, uh, as part of our, um, cloud communications bundle packaging. So now you can get HD video through Amazon chime if you're an Exiva customer, right. And we can use that as a selling point for, um, for acquisition. Um, and, and we were actually losing deals. We found out by our, looking at our closed lost status reason in Salesforce, Chris, you're big on this, looking at all this kind of customer information, right? Um, that a lot of the closed loss reasons in the last couple of months were, you know, lack of HD video feature, right? So what do we do? We knew we couldn't build this in time. Hey, let's partner with someone. Uh, Ring Central's partnering with Zoom. You know, there's someone out there that'll partner with us. And yeah, look at, look at that, Amazon Chime. Now we can use Amazon's logo on our website, right? Like, you know, the marketing opportunities that come as a result of this are actually quite huge. So, um, that to me is a growth hack. That's a growth hack. That's just good strategy. That's like product strategy. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, appreciate you all staying on. Love seeing um, faces here on a recurring basis. Um, I will... Um, I will commit if I say it here, then I'll actually do it. So I will commit to trying out one of those different emails where I just try and send a message to provide value to all of you. 
And I would really appreciate if you like it to respond and say something, hey, I like this, or could you do different this way? If you don't like it, I would really, really appreciate if you tell me that you don't like it so that I can get better. Um, and so uh, we'll, leave that, we'll leave it at that. Really hope to see you all back here next week and hope you have a great rest of your week. Peace out, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Take care.